be seated this morning. Continuing today to look at the shocking statements of Jesus. We've been the past few weeks looking at shocking statements of Jesus. We've been looking at things that Jesus has said that, uh, that just stun people. And things that if we read them closely and we pay attention, they will shock us. And they will challenge us and they will change us. Particularly those of us who have been in church for so long and so often in our life, sometimes we uh, forget just how shocking Jesus is. Just how radical Jesus is. Just how much Jesus messes everything up to show us what it's really like to be put back together by Father God. This morning we're going to continue to look at things that Jesus has said that should confront all of us. We've seen so far that Jesus uh, threw out some radical statements. He uh, told people that you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you really want to be a, a part of what I'm doing. And we saw that Jesus has said not to be consumed by worry. And we know how often, those of us in this room, how often worry grips us. And often worry drives the decisions that we make. And yet Jesus comes along and Jesus says, hey, I don't want you to worry. Because when worry consumes you, you're missing out on what God is actually doing and the provision that he actually has for you in your life. We've also seen that Jesus made a shocking statement. The one who is the Prince of Peace made a shocking statement once. He claimed that he was bringing a sword, not peace. And that's pretty shocking when you're the Prince of Peace to say that. I'm bringing a sword, not peace. And we looked at what that meant in context that Jesus was saying, yes, he has come to bring peace, but there are those that will not accept him. And there are those that will not follow his way. And so there will be enmity, there will be strife between those who accept Jesus and those who want no part of what he's about. So we've seen this claim of bringing a sword. Today we're going to look at the fourth shocking claim of Jesus in this series. And it's going to seem at first glimpse that this shocking statement of Jesus is the exact opposite of what we saw the other week. We're going to see that today Jesus is going to say something that you're going to ask yourself, how can Jesus say that after he's already said as well that he's come to bring a sword, not peace? How can he say what he's going to command today? For today we're going to look at Jesus' command to love your enemies. Love your enemies. Not love somebody else's enemies. We can do that. Not love somebody else that your friend has a problem with. But he's saying here that we are commanded to love our enemies. Your enemies. And so go to Matthew chapter 5 verse 43. Have your Bible with you. If you do not, there's one in the pew in front of you. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. So go to Matthew chapter 5 and go to verse 43. And let's read together the shocking statement of Jesus. We are to love our enemies. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Listen attentively to what God has to say through His Son Jesus today. Matthew 5, 43. Jesus said, You have heard that it has been said that you shall love your neighbor. He quotes the law there and He says, People are going around saying that you 
should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And Jesus says in his day, there are those who are teaching that yes, you should love your neighbor, but you should also hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Why? Why are we to do this? He says in verse 45, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. He says if you really belong to Father God, then you will love your enemies. And he shows how will you love them. You will bless them that curse you. You will do good for them that hate you. And you will pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Verse 45, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Right? He says, if you love those that love you, well, they already loved you. They already appreciated you. They already cared for you. And he says, if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans do the same? Those were the enemies of Jesus. And he says, even they love those that love them. Jesus says, I've called you to something else. Father God has called you to something else. Verse 47, if you salute your brethren only, if you only recognize those that you're connected with already, what do you do more than others? And again, and this is pretty shocking because the publicans were so uh, against Jesus, and he's preaching this to followers of his, and he's saying, hey guys, even the publicans, even the sinners, they do this. Verse 48, you be therefore perfect. You want to be more aligned to the perfect will of God? Then you do this. You love your enemies. You bless them that curse you. You do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Be you, verse 48, therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. If you want to be the children of God, God's children, then this is what you've got to do. You've got to love your enemies. There was once a reporter who illustrated a 100-year-old man. And uh, that's no small feat to have lived to reach 100 years. And this reporter illustrated this 100-year-old man and he asked him, what is the thing that you are most proud of? At 100 years old, what is the thing that you are most proud of in your life? And this 100-year-old man said, the thing that I am most proud of is that I don't have an enemy anywhere in the world. Not one. And the reporter was taken aback, and he kind of smiled. You know sometimes how younger people, we, unfortunately, sometimes we look at people that are that old, and we kind of smile. Oh, isn't that cute, this older person? And the reporter smiled and said, oh, that's just wonderful. Not an enemy at the world in the world. And this 100-year-old man with a gleam in his eye said, yep. When, you're at, when, you, when you reach my age, you've outlived them all and they're all dead. Not an enemy in the world. Jesus today does not call us to outlive our enemies. He calls us to love our enemies. Here in these verses, which were a part of the great Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching his disciples the correct way to fulfill the Old Testament law. There are a lot of man-made traditions that had arisen around the law. 
and a lot of extra biblical teaching that had come up, and a lot of teachers that had taught wrong ways to apply the law to people's lives. And so remember, Jesus is a Jew among Jews, and he's showing them this is the way to accurately and faithfully fulfill the law of God. And so think about it in life. In life, when you're confronted with th- things, you, you often have two choices. For example, for example, imagine you've got seeds. Imagine you've got seeds, right? Everybody knows what seeds are. You've got gardens and you've got, you've got seeds. And if you come upon a seed, you know, seeds are just these little, small, small little things, right? You've got seeds. And what can you do with seeds? Well, you've got a couple options you can do with seeds. One thing you can do with seeds is you can decide, man, seeds are worthless. These seeds aren't worth anything. And there's nothing that can be done with these seeds. And and like a small child, you can take your seeds, and I'm not really going to do this, but you can lay the seeds down and you can smash them with the hammer. Some of you got really nervous when I pulled this out. You can smash these seeds, right? And you can destroy them, and then you can sweep them up, and you can throw them away. You could do that with seeds. You could take the hammer to seeds, and you could destroy them. But if you did that to seeds, if you smashed them up like that, you're actually not helping them fulfill the purpose for which God made seeds, made plants, made things around us. You can take a hammer to seeds and you can destroy them and they'll be different than they were. You've done something to them. Or you can take seeds and you can plant them into the ground. And you can plant seeds into the ground and you can help water them and make sure they get sunshine. And you can watch as seeds in the ground become something fruitful as they become the thing that God made them to be. Jesus is in a situation where the law has been used wrong and where the law has not been used right. And people are being taught that it's okay to hate your enemies. But God looks out at everybody. And his son Jesus looks out at everybody and he says, you know, I didn't create you to hate other people. I didn't create you for hate to take hold in your heart and to run your life and run your decisions and run what you do. In fact, Jesus says, Father God made all of you so you could flourish and grow. And so the Old Testament law is not here for you to destroy someone else. The Old Testament law is given so that you can live into God's purposes for his creation. And so Jesus comes on the scene and says, I'm going to show you a better way than hating your enemies. I'm going to show you a way for the law of God to be fulfilled so that you can be like God who gave the law. If you are glad today that Jesus did not smash you in your sin, but he died on a cross so that you could know him and reach your full potential, if you are glad for that today, say amen. So here is Jesus. He's confronted with one of the most basic and yet difficult things we face. How will I treat those who are against me? Now, the religious leaders had done something interesting in Jesus' day, and it's something that we often do. In Jesus' day, the religious leaders had taken the law, and they had qualified it, and they had added to it. They had qualified it to death. Oh, yeah, well, the law says this, but let me explain this so we can actually do what we want to do. And they had also not just qualified it, they'd also added to it because, well, let's qualify it so we don't have to do the things we don't want to do. And let's also add to it so other people have to do the things that we want them to do. And we'll say that it's God is the one doing it. My friends, listen to me very carefully. We can fall into the same trap of taking what God teaches and qualifying it to death. And really that's just an excuse for us to not fulfill and do what he wants. And we can also come along and add to the law of God 
so that we can uh, manipulate people into doing what we want instead of sticking with what the Word of God says. And in Jesus' day, that's what had been done with the law. The Old Testament law clearly taught that you were to love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting that Jesus left that out when he said what people taught in his day. And you wonder if that's intentional. Had people just dropped off that as yourself? The law doesn't just say to love your neighbor. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. But the teachers of the law, they had come along. And they said, well, just love your neighbor. And then they'd begun the qualification of, well, who is really my neighbor? Who is it that I really have to show love to? And so they spent their time, instead of arguing about or thinking about together how they could bless people and help people fulfill God's purpose, they spent their time arguing about, well, who is it that we don't have to help? Who is it we don't have to reach out to? And as they qualified the law of God, an interesting thing happened. They eventually reached the point of, well, our neighbors are really just the Jewish people around us. We do that today. Sometimes we take God's word and we qualify it and make loving our neighbor just mean someone with my skin color. Or loving my neighbor just means someone who has the same religion as me. Or loving my neighbor means just loving those who have the same economic status or the same education. It, it's, it's, it's hard sometimes, right? I mean, and, and we know we do this. We know we do this because we're human and we're fallen. There are times, especially in sports that my boys are involved in, and you know they're the parents that are like us. They're the parents that have educations like my wife and I have. And they have a certain outlook on life. And they kind of have themselves, They, you know, when they come to a game, they, they have brushed their teeth and they've got their kids' hairs fixed and they look right and they know how to talk. Uh, in polite society, and they, they know the jokes that are okay to say and the things that are politically correct and the things you shouldn't say. And those people are just kind of easy for me to be around because that's the world that I kind of matured in. And then there are other people at the games. And you wonder if they ever brush their kids' teeth. And they're always a mess. And they're always saying things that make you blush a little bit because you're thinking, oh, man, if these other people hear me talking to them, they're saying this, they're going to think that I may think that. And you just, you do all this. You know what, Jesus comes along and he says, you know what, instead of qualifying who you're supposed to love, I just want you to love everybody. Everybody. And so Jesus says, don't qualify who your neighbor is. Don't qualify. And so the Jewish leaders had tried to really qualify God's word to make neighbor mean just their neighbor. And so Jesus shocks this group by making it clear, actually, if you want to fulfill the law, then you've got to love your enemy as well. He wanted to make it clear. Who's your neighbor? Well, I, I want you to love everybody. And of course, the people in Jesus' day did exactly what we do. They didn't just qualify the law. They also added to it. Now look at verse 43 with me in the text. Look at, look at verse 43 again. He says, you have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And that's what the teachers taught, but that's not actually what the law said. Listen to Proverbs chapter 25 and 21. Listen to what the law actually said. If your enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? What would you do? What would you want done to you if you were, if you were starving? If you're starving, you'd want somebody to give you a piece of bread. 
What would you want somebody to do if you didn't have any water? You would want them to give you a drink. Well, the law also said, if your enemy is hungry, give him a piece of bread. And if your enemy is thirsty, give him water to drink. Listen to another place in the law. Listen to Exodus chapter uh, 23 and what the law and what the law of God says. In Exodus 23, he tells them, listen to this, verse 4. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray. So this is your enemy. And his animal is off his property. All right. He says, if you come upon this, you shall surely bring it back to him again. You will not take it. You will not harm it. You will not even just go away and pretend that it's not there. The law says you are to take what belongs to somebody else if you come across it. And you are to pick it up and you are to go and give it to them, even if it is your enemy. Why? Because if you had lost some property and somebody else found it, what would you want them to do for you? You'd want them to pick it up and bring it to you. And so the law of God says this is how you are to treat your enemy. Friends, today we need to repent of qualifying God's law in our heart and adding to God's law. We need to do what Jesus has done. We need to faithfully fulfill the word of God. If you want to be faithful to the word of God today, say amen. These religious leaders had qualified it. And they had added to it. And in doing so, they had changed the word of God to be what they wanted. Instead of what God wanted it to be. Now today's message, there are different kind of sermons. And today's message is really a teaching message. This is very much a teaching message this morning. And so believers, I want you to hear me. And unbelievers that are here today, I want you to listen because this is what God calls people to. Listen, I I thought to myself as I was thinking through this shocking statement of Jesus, I thought, well, what what is it that we wrestle with when it comes to loving our enemies? As a pastor... What, what question do I get the most when it comes to people struggling with loving their enemies? And I want you to listen very closely, Christians. I want you to listen. If you're non-Christian, I want you to listen too because you're going to see what God's heart is today. Listen very, very closely. There is no doubt, there is no question in my mind that the number one thing that Christians come to me with this loving your enemies is people will come to me on a pretty frequently basis and they will say something like, I know They'll, they'll first they'll come and they'll, they'll tell me a, sh- a story, maybe a shocking story. For example, this has happened two or three times in the seven years I've been here. Someone will come to me and they will reveal that when they were a child, they were sexually abused. Right? That's pretty shocking. If you think that's wrong for children to be sexually abused, say amen. That's shocking. But there's, there's been at least three times that that's happened where someone has come to me and they have said, this happened to me when I was younger. And in two of the cases, it was repeated, repeated things that happened. And they told about this, and they would talk about the horrific things that were done to them. And then they would make this statement. They would say, they, they say all these things, and they would say, but I know I'm not supposed to feel this way because God has called me to love my enemies. I'm not supposed to feel this way because God has called me to love my enemies. And I want to show you today, and I want you to take this away. As we're going to look at this passage a little bit closer, and then we're also going to look at the story of the Good Samaritan. I want to tell you something. Look right here at me. This notion that you have that love is just a feeling 
and that that's what Jesus was talking about, that it's somehow wrong for you to feel certain things about wrongs have been done to you, that is not what Jesus is saying. In fact, when you read the text, when we read the story of the Good Samaritan in a minute, when Jesus talks about love, it is action that you do to other people. Jesus does not come along and say to you that it's wrong for you to feel bad or to have mixed emotions or to feel hurt and pain because somebody actually hurt you and did pain to you. Jesus doesn't come along and say that it's wrong for you to feel hurt and wrong for you to feel pain. No, the reason Jesus came is because we do feel hurt and we do feel pain and sometimes we put it on each other. And so Jesus comes and says, let me take that pain on me. So listen to me, Christian, today. Don't misunderstand me. If someone has hurt you, you need to be careful that bitterness and anger do not take over your life and that wrong that someone did to you continues to dominate you for the rest of your life. Jesus does not want that. So yes, you need to deal, you do need to deal with how you feel about things because you don't want them to own you. But I also want you to understand today that when Jesus says love your enemies, he is not saying to you that if someone has legitimately done these horrible things to you, that you are now in sin because it's caused you hurt. And it has caused you pain. That is not what Jesus is saying. In fact, look with me at what Jesus does say in this text when he says that you are to love your enemies. Look at what Jesus says, all right? Look at verse 44. What does he say when he says love your enemies? I say unto you, love your enemies. And then he gives us actions, not feelings, actions. He says, what does he say? Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. He says if someone does you wrong and you encounter a situation where you can either curse them or bless them, he says I want you to choose to bless them instead of cursing them. If you encounter someone and all of a sudden you are in a position over them, and you can do good to them or do evil to them, Jesus says, I want you to do good for them. Don't do to them what they did to you. And Jesus says, hey, what can all of us do? What can anybody do with their enemy? He says, I want you to pray for them. These are all expressions of love. And they are also all actions. We live in an age that has reduced love to just some sort of feeling. And so we can say, well, I don't want to be in this marriage anymore because I don't feel this way like I, I once did when we first got together. Or we say, hey, I know that these kids are my responsibility, but I just don't feel like being the father that they need. Let me tell you today, love is more than a feeling. Love expresses itself in action. And Christians should know this above all people because Jesus did not say, hey, I just feel like loving you. Jesus came through action and he showed that he loved you because he died on a cross for you. Think with me today a couple of things. First, think with me about the story, this story of the Good Samaritan. Listen to this story. Listen to it very closely. And I know you've probably heard it many times, some of you, but listen very closely to what Jesus told about the Good Samaritan. Because here is a prime example that Jesus gave of what it looks like for two enemies to encounter each other and what it looks like to love an enemy. All right, listen. Listen very carefully. Luke chapter 10, 25. Just listen. Listen very closely with the ears of faith. Listen. Jesus says that the word says that there was a certain lawyer. Oh, Bill, you're in trouble, man. There's a lawyer here. 
Actually, this could be like a religious teacher, a preacher, or a Sunday school teacher, right? They're talking about the law of God. And he says this, he says, a certain lawyer stood up. And he wasn't there to learn, he wasn't there to grow, and he wasn't there to, to see faith flourish and grow. No, he was there for another reason. It says this lawyer stood up and he tempted Jesus. And he said, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He turns around and says, well, what's written there? How do you read this? And the lawyer said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. That's good. And then in the law, it gives how you actually do that, the action. And your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, he said unto him, you have answered right. This do and you shall live. But he, listen to this, but he willing or wanting to justify himself said unto Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered. And he said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves and they stripped him of his raiment and they wounded him and they departed and they left him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed over on the other side. Likewise, a Levite. When he was at the place, he came and looked on him, and he passed over on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, the enemies of the Jews, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he, the Samaritan, saw the Jew, he had compassion upon him. And these are all actions. He says he has compassion, but it's not just feeling. This compassion shows itself in action. What did he do? Oh, I feel sorry for that guy. Oh, that's bad that happened to him. No, that's not actually compassion. Verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds, and he poured in oil and wine, and he, set, he got off his animal, and he set his enemy up on his beast, and he brought him to an inn, and he didn't just leave him there. He took care of him himself. Why? Because the law actually says not just to love, but to love your neighbor as yourself. So he stays, and he took care of him. And on the morrow, the next day, when he departed, he took out two pence, and he gave it to the host, the one who's over this place where he's staying, and he said unto him, you know, he's like, I got to go. So there are limitations to what we can do. God understands that. But he takes the money out, and he says, here, you take care of him. And whatsoever you spend more, he says, well, you've got to spend more to take care of him. Go ahead and do it, because I've left him with you. So when I come again, I will repay you. And then Jesus says to the lawyer, he asks him a question, kind of like the Supreme Court, right? They argue before the judges, and the judges ask some questions back. Which now of you, Jesus says, he looks to the lawyer, which now of you? Of these three, thinkest thou, was the neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And the lawyer said, he said, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou, you go and do likewise. Jesus says in our text today that we are to do good to our enemies. He says, he says that clearly today. What do you do to your enemy? Verse 44, he says, do good to them that hate you. And the story of the Good Samaritan, we have an example of what love looks like in action. 
Because when the opportunity presents itself to do good or evil, the Samaritan chose to do good unto his enemy. Loving others is not about you feeling guilty over hurt that they have done to you. It is about when you are positioned to do good or evil to them, you choose the good because that is what God the Father has done and Jesus has done for us. Now there's an example, and I know this is, this, this is a, a kind of an extreme example, but it's a good example to help us think about it. When Jesus says, love your enemy, he has sort of in mind like what happens after a battle. Right, you know, a battle takes place and one side wins. And the history of warfare, there's an option at the end of the battle. At the end of the battle, some people just shoot their enemies. And they just take them and shoot them right there. Although they've surrendered, they have no weapons, the fighting is over, they shoot them. But there's also in this world others who they do not shoot their enemies. They do not shoot them. What they do with their enemies is they allow them to surrender and they actually feed them and they give them water and they care for them and provide for them because they're now in the position to do good or evil and they choose in that situation to do what is right, to do what is good to the enemy, not what is evil. Listen to me today. It is okay for you to hurt when others have done desperately wicked things to you. It is okay for you to hurt over that. And it's okay for you to have pain over that. And you do not feel, need to feel like that God is sitting there judging you because you have, still have pain because of what another did to you. If you are glad that God can handle our pain, say amen. This love is not primarily about a feeling. It's about the actions that you do when you are in the situation to do right or to do wrong. Think with me about another story. We have the story of the Good Samaritan that help us see this is what it means to choose good over evil when you're engaging with your enemy, but also think with me about the story of Stephen. Do you know the story of Stephen? Stephen was a great, uh, a, a great uh, lay leader in the church. He was also a great preacher and proclaimer. And so he went and he, he was telling those that had crucified Jesus and, and there in Jerusalem and those who were a part of that, he went telling them, hey, this is wrong, what happened to Jesus? It was wrong to do this. And he took the whole Bible, he took the Old Testament, and he explained, this is what has been, this is what been going on and Jesus came to save us. And the one who came to save us, we killed him and we crucified him. He looks at the people he's preaching at because he's there in Jerusalem. And these are his people. These are his, these are his kin. And he looks at them and he says, you all did this. You did this. And people don't like to be confronted with sin. We don't like to be confronted with sin. We don't, we don't like that. We don't like it when somebody says, you're not loving your spouse the way you should. And that's obvious the way you're treating her out here in public. We don't like it when somebody says, hey man, God sees those secret things that you are doing. We don't like it when somebody says, hey man, this is how God says we're to interact with others and, and this is not what's going on. We don't like it when somebody comes along and says, hey man, is the way you speak, the words you use, the jokes you tell, the outfits that you pick out, is that really pleasing to God? Or is that doing something else? And man, we don't like that and, and I, I don't like that. I don't like that. But Stephen looked at this crowd, and he really got them. Because he looked at them, and basically was saying, you're a bunch of murderers. And you murdered Jesus. And you killed him. And what you better do is get right with him now, because thankfully for you, Jesus did not come to condemn you. He died to save you, and he allowed you to do what you did. 
He allowed you to do that so you wouldn't feel the punishment of God's wrath. He took it upon himself. And he's your one way for salvation. And when Stephen said that, in the earliest days of the church, when Stephen said it, they picked, they picked up the stones and they began to chunk them at him because they were angry. And they began to kill Stephen. And do you remember what Stephen did? Jesus just said right there, what do you do for your enemies? You are to pray for them. And what did Stephen do to his enemies? He prayed a prayer, and it's a very interesting prayer. He prayed to God the Father, and he asked the Lord God to forgive them for what they were doing, to not hold it against them what they were doing. Now think about that prayer. Think about that you are the one chunking the stone. That prayer is actually doing two things. That prayer is asking God to forgive them and not bring down his wrath. But that prayer is also confronting those people that heard him say it because it is making clear to them what you are doing is wrong. When he prayed for them, Stephen didn't pray. He, he didn't pray and say, Lord, I feel bad that I'm dying right now. And I'm supposed to love my enemies. Lord, help me to not feel bad that I feel bad that they're hurting me. No, that's not what loving your enemies is about. It is about praying and, and saying, treat them the way that I would want to be treated, which is about forgiveness. You say, Pastor, why do you keep harping on this today, this business of it's not primarily about your emotion, but it's about your action? Because it's not just people who have been sexually assaulted. There are all kinds of Christians that have had horrible things, and non-Christians have had horrible things happen, and they come to a preacher, and they feel like somehow they're not loving their enemy if they don't feel exactly right. And when you read this, it is all about action, about what you do. Hear me again. You must deal with your feelings so that bitterness and anger do not take a hold of your heart. But loving your enemy as you love yourself it's about what you do with them and to them when you are given the opportunity. And with prayer is something that we can all do whether we are face to face with that enemy or not. So Jesus comes on the scene and he says to those that are listening, he says, you've heard it said to love your neighbor. It actually says love your neighbor as yourself. And then going out and doing for them what was right and good in each situation when you were confronted with it. And Jesus comes along and he says, I don't want you to just love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to love your enemy as yourself. So students that are in here, when you are at school, and someone mocks you and laughs at you. Maybe it's over what you're wearing. Maybe it's over your accent. You know, my wife from Eastern Kentucky, and they moved to Lexington when she was in third or fourth grade. I forget which. And when she moved from Eastern Kentucky to Lexington, right, Lexington's a big city, and she'd moved from the rural part of the state. When she moved there, elementary class, there were people that made fun of her for her accent. In some ways, she's never gotten over that. In some ways, you don't get over that when you're in third or fourth grade and you're in a new city and somebody makes fun of you because of your accent. Loving your enemy doesn't mean that it's bad for you to hurt a little bit because somebody does that. 
But loving your enemy does mean that the next time you're in a classroom and someone with a weird accent speaks up, you do the way of love. You don't make fun of them for that. In fact, you probably say to them, that's really interesting. Where are you from? Where did you get that accent? That can be an example of loving your enemy. Now, now that's you do that to anybody, but if it's your enemy that's made fun of you and then they've made fun of you for the accent, and then they fall in class, or they've tripped in class, or they make a bad grade on a test, you're then in a position to do something to them. And you know what you choose? The one that's made fun of your accent when something bad happens to them at school, you make the choice of, I'm not going to do what they did to me. That is the way of love. Oh, well, here's where I struggle. Let's just get really down to earth, right? Some Sundays we preach about the, what we call the big sins. The rally, they're all sins. So let me bring it a little bit down to earth. Let's bring it down to where I'm at. I'm the type of guy that uh, if I'm trying to get a parking space and somebody cuts me off and they get my space, when we go into that store, if I find that me and that person are about to get to that aisle at the same time, I make sure that I pick up the steps a little bit just so I can get in front of them and go really slow once I got in front. Is that loving your enemy that cuts you off in the parking lot? No, it's not. It's not. Sometimes in my life, in my ministry, there have been people that have said things that aren't true, that have gossiped, that have done things, have said things. You know where I really struggle? Is when somebody has gossiped or said things that weren't true or left out really important pieces of the story. You know what I'm really tempted to do when something bad happens to them in their life? I'm really tempted to open my mouth and justify and begin to talk about that person. But you know what the law of God says? The law of God says, love your enemy. And in context, Jesus is saying, I want you to love your enemy just as you love yourself. This sermon today is a sermon of liberation, and it's also a sermon of accountability. It's liberation today because if you're one of those people that has reduced love to just a feeling, and you feel like it's wrong for you to hurt over things that have been done wrong to you, that's not what it means to love. But it's also a sermon of accountability. Because Jesus says, that enemy in your life, the person that has caused you the most pain and the most grief, you are to pray for them, you are to bless them, and when the opportunity presents itself, You are to do good unto them, not evil. How could we do any less? How could we do any less, those of us who name the name of Christ? The name of Christ who in our own life, with our own sin, we've disobeyed God's law. We placed Him on that cross because of our sin, because of our self-pride. We've chosen ourselves over the ways of God. And so His Son came to redeem us and to save us. And we were the very enemies of God. And yet the King of Heaven, Jesus Himself, comes down and dies for us. Jesus treated us not as His enemies, but He treated us as His friends. He treated us with love. How dare we who name the name of Christ do anything less than embody in our lives what He did for us. Can we be real for a minute? This doesn't need to be soft and we don't need to muffle it. 
We need to gather, repent together. If you find it hard to love your enemies, would you say amen? Amen. Yet Jesus comes. And the Sermon of the Mount, by the way, the Sermon of the Mount, where this statement is made, that whole sermon is basically showing people, this is how you apply the Old Testament law in your life. This whole sermon, one way you can look at it, is just over and over again, Jesus was showing, this is how you take the Old Testament law that was given, and you see it grow, and you see it become what God meant it to be for His people. comes his heart and he says, you want to really flourish? And you've got to learn not to hate your enemy. You've got to learn to love your enemy. Maybe today you are an enemy of God. Maybe there is deep sin in your life. Maybe they're not the big sins, but maybe there's great pride in your life. And you cannot bring yourself to confess your sin and you cannot bring yourself to give your life to Jesus. Why would I give my life to anybody? Why would I follow anybody? Why would I trust anybody? I don't need anybody but me. That's a great lie of the devil. If you believe you don't need anybody but you, watch what happens when you get really, really sick. Watch what happens when you get in a car wreck. Watch what happens in a multiple of situations. You will quickly discover that actually you do need other people, which point us to something bigger, which is we need God. And today, whether it's the big sins, whether it's just the simple pride that you live in, that you're just living for yourself, you have no time for what God has said, you have no time for Jesus' kingdom and watching His kingdom be fulfilled and to grow, you have no time for this, whether you're the big sin person, the person just walking in your pride, you're an enemy of God. You have chosen to be His enemy. But He says to you today, I don't want you to be my enemy. I've come to show you That you can be my friend. That you can be my child. The Bible says, how do you do that? You confess your sin. You embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And my friends, He is a good Lord indeed. For most earthly lords teach us to love those of our tribe. But to hate those who oppose us. But Jesus says, think about how good this Lord is. This Lord says, don't just love your neighbor but do good to your enemy as well. And that's what he did for you, and that's what he did for me. This morning's sermon, again, is a teaching sermon. But if this is a wonderful teaching indeed, say amen. Love your enemy. Love your enemy, don't hate them. I'm going to ask the group to come and sing. And let's sing, Come to the Altar again. And that is a wonderful song that reminds us that we need to come to God. And this morning as you sing this, let this be a prayer in your heart, your recognition that you need God and what only God has done. And I want you to think about the way He has loved you. And I hope this sermon is brought to your mind. Maybe somebody that has wronged you or hurt you or harmed you. And as you have thought about this person, I want you to use this time to pray and commune with God and to ask Him to help you to love that person, to help you to pray for that person. To help you to do good to that person. This morning there are two choices. You can hate. You can go that road and it can dominate you. Or you can choose to come to the altar. To come to God. And to follow his plan and his purpose. And his will for your life. And if you are his enemy today. He calls you. And he says come and receive the friendship. 
the salvation that I give to you. Let's stand together this morning and let's sing. And if you need to come and pray this morning, we'll be right here to meet with you and to pray with you. Dear Lord, move and speak.